You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode of the podcast, I chat to Sally from at the.booklovers.guide. We have a chat about Sally's Bookstagram account, as well as the awesome The Book Lovers magazine, which is a free online publication that Sally runs. We then discuss the most anticipated read of 2021, A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mars. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Hello, Sally. Welcome to the Bookstorian podcast. Hello. I am, I I always say I'm excited to talk to anyone about any book, but I think I'm pretty like elated to finally be able to talk to somebody about A Court of Roses and Thorns. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation this evening. Me too, because I mean, as much as I love the, I love Sarah J Mass, like she's my favorite author, but as much as I love Aelin, like Feyre and Reese, like they're just such good characters that I'm really excited that this series is like keeping me going. <laughs> Yeah, but you still get like a little sprinkle of their lives and what's happening in their lives. I always start my podcast with a icebreaker question. And the icebreaker question uh, that we're going to to discuss is what sequel are you currently looking forward to? So, I mean, ordinarily I'd be looking forward to Sarah J Mass, but because we haven't got any information on Crescent City 2 yet or Akatar, what are we now? Six? Um, I'm looking forward to, I think it comes out next month, um, which is the book three in the For Blood and Ash series by Jennifer L. Armantrout. It's really interesting. So, um, it's very sort of Akhtar-ish, but like completely rewritten into our own words. And I'm sort of really loving those characters. And then I'm looking forward to, um, Gods and Monsters by um, Shelby Mahurin, which I think comes out in July now. Um, she changed the publication date for it. So, yeah, that's the third and last book in the um, Seven and Dove series, which is really a good It's a really good read too. So even though, even, even though, so even though there's a little bit of a drought with um, Sarah J. Miles' new books, there's definitely um, some others that are very... Um, that are very anticipated. I am looking forward to The Secret Keeper of Japur by Alka Yoshi. So this is the sequel for The Henna Artist. So, and it actually, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to continue on with the main character's story, but it actually takes place 12 years after The Henna Artist ends. And it's about Malik, who is... uh, He's a young boy that kind of uh, works for uh, Lakshima, that Lakshim, sorry, pronounced her name incorrectly there. Um, and this is also is about him um, and establishes his career and his future with our initial and original characters in place. Uh, but I'm excited to see how he's grown up because he's one of my favourite characters in that book. But it is an expected release date of the 22nd of June. So now that I've got A Court of Silver Flames, that's the next one I'm looking forward to. Oh, you so you've got a bit of a break before the next one. Oh, yes, yes, just yeah. a little bit. So, <laughs> Sally, uh, you were, were 
one of the first ever bookstagram accounts that I discovered when I got on before I even had a bookstagram, to be honest with you, I stumbled across yours. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today about your bookstagram. And then of course, to discuss a court of silver flames as well. So and I think one of the fascinating things about your photos is that you have so many props. So I could look at it all day and notice something different in the photo. And I would love to actually ask you, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, but one of them is certainly going to be about your photos and how you actually plan them out. But for those people who haven't seen your bookstagram feed, how would you actually describe your feed? A mess. Um, <laughs> first, it's such an honor. Like, that's so nice. I'm really glad that, you know, you found me first. That's a first. Not many people say that. So that's really special. Um, I'd say, though, like, I find, like, it's just on my floor in my library. And I sort of just put this sheet down that I got from the bin at Spotlight for like $2. <laughs> and then all of my props and everything that I've bought from like $2 and op shops and stuff. And really, it's not, it's really not that hard to take the photos because I just sort of like, it's such a mess to begin with. So I just sort of move things slightly around and then just take a photo. <laughs> so it's not, um, it's not overly hard in a way, I think, because I am incredibly lazy and I can't be bothered sitting there for hours, like taking photos. So, you know, to be able to just do that pretty quickly, it, it's much easier for me to do it that way. And is there anything that inspires the photos that you take or potentially the, the props and little bits and pieces that you purchase? Um, I pretty, I go off the covers. So, you know, I'll um, take photos of, of books based on, on their covers and then sort of colour match around, around the covers to try and keep it sort of in sync. Um, and then later on, I'll come up with the captions and stuff, but, I'll probably take, you know, once I've got the layout done, I'll take maybe 10 to 15 photos of the same layout and just save them to my phone so I can sort of rotate between them. Like I said, I'm extremely lazy, so planning ahead <laughs> makes it a lot easier. That's good because that leads into my next question of do you actually plan your photos or does it happen a bit more organically? Um. It, it is organic, but then it also is, it can be planned too. Like if I know, like Akasif, I knew that was coming out. I knew the colour scheme for it. So I sort of was planning ahead of what props I was going to use with that colour scheme. So, I mean, trying to find books on my shelves that were grey and orange was virtually impossible. So <laughs> I, had, I think I ended up finding some flowers in the op shop and stuff too that sort of helped out. Um, so, you know, I like, I highly recommend going to, um, to the $2 shops and stuff because you can find so many bargains in there and like the fake flowers and things, I think they're only about four or $5 at the most. Some of them can be quite cheap. So, you know, you can reuse them and stuff too. That's why I don't use, um, natural, natural flowers because they expire so quickly. And you are also the editor of the Book Lovers magazine, which is a free online publication. Can you tell uh, my listeners a little bit about it? Okay, so this is my other child. Um, it's sort of 
one of my like it's probably my, one of my favorite hobbies apart from bookstagram because um i've got a background in graphic design um it was my undergraduate is in um communications design so to be able to use that in a way for my hobby has been really fun um i like the fact that i mean i've always wanted to work for myself so to be able to do this all on my own and figure out all everything like all of the themes and um, all of my interviews um, being able to interview amazing authors, which I'm still amazed that I have been able to make, like interview such huge authors all on my own, um, you know, is is pretty exciting. Um, so, yeah, I as it's more of a hobby, I'm not sort of I'm not doing it for monetary gain. So it's more of just a bit of, of fun on the on the side. Um, it also allows me to be a bit more flexible too with my with my magazines as well so I don't have to have that deadline of every month if I get too busy then then I'll have to do a different month um, so at the moment I am actually working on a Sarah J Mass magazine um, it's going to be two months so it's going to be huge um, with, uh, with I think I've got an interview line uh, that I've been provided from Bloomsbury with Sarah J Mass um, I've also got a lot of reviews, articles, um, going a lot more into more like the um, mythology of the books and some of the themes such as, you know, um, I'm currently writing an article on whether or not the ideal concept of mates is dangerous and unrealistic for, for people. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy, I really enjoy working on, on my magazine and I, I do have a feeling that's always going to to be free just because it's more of a just a for fun thing for me to fill in the time after work <laughs> and if people want to get their hands on a copy an electronic hand on their copy how do they subscribe to the to the magazine so it's really easy once you get to the instagram page which is um at the dot book lovers dot magazine page um, it's got a link in the bio that takes you straight to the website and a box will come up straight away that you can enter your email in and you'll get sent the magazine straight away. Um, there's also a tab on the website where you can actually go in and download the previous issues as well. So you can sort of see what, what you're signing up for as well and go and have a, a read through about what other um, themes that we've explored too, which is always a bit of fun. Light reading. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely recommend a read of the Book Lovers magazine, um, especially if you, uh, you, you might even be a little bit between books or in a bit of a reading slump. And I think sometimes like I can ignore magazines because I want to keep reading a book and I want to, uh, this book will contribute to my Goodreads goal. But I think we also need to sometimes appreciate that when we read a book, there's lots of other stuff that can come with it, like conversations with people or book clubs or uh, reading articles or engaging with podcasts about books as well. So I certainly recommend giving the magazine a read and having a flick through some back issues uh, that can be of use to you. And as Sally has said, she does have a a background in graphic design as well so they're very um beautifully set out and usually keeping in tone with the themes of the book as well like you've thought about what might complement a certain article or what might complement um a certain book yeah i think so far probably my favorite issue that i've done is probably the blood and honey magazine just because of the design that went into it there was a lot of work done 
on that magazine and the fact that I ended up being able to actually score an interview with Shelby as well, which was pretty exciting um, for, you know, such an up and coming author um, to be able to have such an in-depth interview with her was, was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that, you're right, there is a lot of design work that goes, goes into it as well because I want to sort of make them, I mean, it's the only magazine of its kind. So I'm trying to make it as unique as I possibly can. And I think that definitely shines through in the work that you've created. Hello, my name is Jade and I'm hijacking this podcast to tell you about my podcast about a book. On the show, I tell you the real story behind the world's most iconic books. So far, I've done The Handmaid's Tale, Frankenstein, The Great Gatsby, and 1984 to name a few. Ever wonder why Orwell used talking animals to discuss politics? Or how growing up in Ireland inspired Dracula? And how did The Great Gatsby go from being an epic fail to one of the most praised books of all time? Join me as I uncover the wild truth behind fiction. Give it a listen on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now. And for more information, follow me on aboutabook.podcast on Instagram. Talk to you then! So we are now going to segue into talking about A Court of Silver Flames. And we actually both bonded about this book before it was released or before we'd actually had the discussion about even doing a podcast together on it. And I'm super jealous of you because you were lucky enough to get the book a day early and you devoured it in a night and you actually had the next day off work and didn't even need it. (laughs) It was just so crazy I don't even know I think because I live in a rural town and um I was just I bought it on my kindle because I'm like no one is going to be able to ship it to me on time this is just going to be so annoying and so um I ended up getting an email from Booktopia saying that my my hard copy um would be taking a lot longer than it normally would just because of how popular the book was and so I ended up calling up my local bookshop the day before I had my my um, day off work. And I just said, oh, look, you know, I've got my day off tomorrow. I'm planning on reading this book. I was just wondering if I can come and pick it up first thing in the morning. And he goes, oh, you can come in now. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, but I, I said, oh, I, I'm sure it's embargoed. You know, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge book. I'm sure it's embargoed. He goes, oh, no, don't. He's like, just don't tell anyone where you got it from or what bookshop or anything and I'll let you have it. So, you know, I was, I was like, yeah, I'll be there in five minutes. I'm leaving now. <laughs> I was like sitting in the car, like shaking, going, oh, my God, I'm so excited. This is so cool. Um, got to the bookshop and I was not the first person that obviously called because this other girl was walking out and she had it in her hands. And um, we ended up talking for a while and um, she was just this mad like I think I'm a huge, a huge fan. She was next level. Um, she told me that she had actually legally changed her and her partner's name, like surname, to Valaris, the city of Starlight. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. So yeah, and then um, ran home, and by the time I got home, it was actually like end of the end of the workday for me. So um, I just I couldn't stop reading. It was so addictive. I just kept, I think I stayed up until maybe 2am and finished it in one sitting. But yeah, crazy. 
Um, and I think too that so many different people have different experiences with it and, and how they've connected to it or who they've met through it. And I certainly know like I've contacted or been in communication with a lot of different people on Bookstagram about this read because it is so huge um, on that particular social platform. And yeah, it's definitely been one of the most anticipated books of 2021. But I also think what was very controversial about this book was the cover reveal late last year. And it either, it kind of divided a fair few people. Um, I think it's been really interesting to see people's responses to to the covers and the negative there's been so many negative um, responses to them that it's been sort of interesting because I feel like I'm in the minority I actually really like I mean I don't like them as much as the old covers but I actually don't mind the new ones because you can obviously see that they are I mean they are inspired by the Illyrian tattoos even if they do you know but with a sort of an Asian sort of twist to them which I think is really interesting um, so I, I mean, I responded pretty heavily once sort of the hate sort of started coming out. Um, I got pretty involved because I thought it was quite, you know, it's, it's fair enough to dislike something, but the fact that people are going so hard on it and sort of neglecting the, um, the thought and everything and effort that had gone into creating the covers. It was quite disrespectful to, to not just Bloomsbury and Sarah, but also to the cover artist as well. Um, so yeah, it's been really sort of interesting to see, you know, I feel like every time one of these books is going to come out now, um, as soon as they release the cover, it's going to just get negative, negative responses all the time. So it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of um, impacts that has on the fandom as well because I've sort of found that people like I don't know if you can take them literally or not um, because it's just people on the internet but you can see that a lot of the time people are saying oh you know I'm just going to stop reading the books so I don't like the cover you know so well <laughs> you know a whole like our, our whole saying is you know don't judge a book by its cover and you know that's what that's what you're doing so it's gonna be really interesting to see what sort of impact that has on people reading the books as well. Yeah there was definitely some very drastic overreactions to it like my OCD wasn't necessarily happy with it because I like it when things match um but at the end of the day like it's someone's work it's someone's artwork that they've created and as someone who is a graphic designer Sally you would uh, you would know the thought and the process that goes into it let alone when you're creating a cover for a series how much thought and research goes into it and it's something I actually really want to explore in season three of the podcast is talk to graphic designers and artists who create covers and potentially get a little bit more awareness about their craft and how long something like that does take. But at the end of the day, it's the story and it's the content inside the book that I want more than, than the photograph that like 30 people are going to like. I'm actually more interested in the, in the story. And you're right. At the end of the day, people are only complaining because, you know, it's going to affect the Instagram account. You know, it's not about, you know, the actual book itself it's it's going to be you know impact their their photo taking and I go that's really sort of unfair to judge someone based on that when you know again like you said it's just going to earn them a certain amount of likes at the end of the day whereas you know I am um, 
I love the colors, but I also bought the um, Illumicrate box, which I'm hoping comes tomorrow with the new, um, the cover art. So, you know, there's other options that, that people can explore too. And it just sort of depends on how much money you want to spend as well at the same time, I suppose. Um, some other things about this book as well, before we get into our conversation, is that Sarah J. Maz herself actually had the idea for this book when she was writing A Court of Wings and Ruin, which is the third book in the series. So she's had it on the cards for a little while. And there is actually a bonus chapter floating around online of this book as well. And I do apologize because there was someone who sent me a message and let me know where it was. And I went for a hunt back in my DMs and I, I can't remember who it was. So if you are listening to the podcast and you did send it to me, thank you very much because it just added so much extra to it. The chapter is actually from Azriel's perspective. Is that correct? I couldn't find the message to double check. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sally's nodding along. So she's obviously read it as well. But that blew my mind a little bit because it didn't feel like that was very common knowledge. So here is a quick summary about the book. Uh, hopefully you have read it and that is why you are engaging with this podcast because there are going to be some spoilers. A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Maz is a spin-off series of a much-loved A Court of Thorns and Roses. Nesta, Freyra's eldest sister, is stubborn, fierce and broken. Struggling with the aftermath of a war she never wanted to fight and the death of her father. Thrown into the training arena with the devastatingly toned Illyrian warrior Cassian. Let's just say the pair are sparring partners in every sense of the word in this novel. It is a classic enemy to lovers story and it also explores themes of sisterhood, loss, friendship and love. My first question for you, Sally, uh, surrounds the House of Wind. So if your house was as generous as the House of Wind, what would you ask it for? There's so many things. Like I, uh, I've been thinking about this ever since you asked me and I'm going, oh my God, what would I even ask for? One, like if I could choose, I can't choose just one. That's just cruel. So it'd have to be like chocolate, obviously. Two would have to be like a, a running bath that just keeps going and going and it's just hot like all the time. And then it would have to be like TV, but just free, like any channel, anything that you wanted to watch would just be free and you could just switch it on and anything that you wanted would come on the TV and that would be perfect. And unlimited books. I'm actually giggling because we've got a lot of very similar answers. <laughs> So mine was going to be chocolate, like when I'm craving it and the like specific type. So like if I'm feeling like a Cadbury chocolate, that's what I get. If I'm feeling like Whitaker's, that's what I get. Um, dinner would be good. And also to go with whatever I feel like eating for dinner. Or if I just can't make up my mind, the house makes up its mind for me. Um, and I also said all the different streaming services, but for free. Like what you said about the channels. <laughs> uh and yeah, if it could also clean my clean itself, that would be the other thing I'd ask for. I feel bad. You asked so many, like you had so many practical ones. Mine is just like food and TV. That's practical. That takes you time to prepare food. <laughs> oh yeah, ice cream. I'd want like a freezer full of ice cream all the time. Oh, nice. And like just whatever flavor you want. And the house just knows like, oh, she wants yeah. strawberry tonight. Bam, strawberry yeah. set. Exactly. <laughs> Really? I thought that was really clever. I kind of liked that little slice of magic. Like 
It felt like not even Harry Potter had something like that in it. It felt very unique to the world. So we've established that Nesta and Cassian are living um, in the House of Wind, which is separate from where Feyre and Reese are. So they're living in uh, the River House, which we, which we're introduced to the idea of in a court of frost and starlight. Why do you think the author made that decision to separate Nesta and Cassian from Feyre and Reese? Out of practicality, I think, because Nesta is so volatile, I reckon she would, her and Reese would just tear each other apart. And, you know, it did happen almost in the books and they weren't even living in the same house. So, you know, you can only imagine the sort of horrors that they would get up to in that house living together with Freya also. It'd be putting her in a very awkward position a lot of the time. Um, I think because also in um, A Court of Frost and Starlight, you know, because Nessa had already established herself as a bit of a loner type, it was, it wouldn't be sort of natural then to force her into the house with everyone, to stick her up in the house of wind with only Cassian and Asriel who weren't there really full time. Um, I think was a sensible, it was a practical move and it made, it made a lot more sense than forcing her into the house with everyone. And especially with Feyre's pregnancy, it kind of heightened Reese in, in many ways as well. So it definitely felt like it was safer um, for a lot of the characters involved, especially Nesta, given that she had to walk up, walk down so many stairs and then back up again so many stairs if she did want to continue being um, like spending her evenings out and about on the town. I also thought it was a, a strategic move to try and separate fans from Feyre and Reese and give us a little bit of distance from them. And I found that um, I was at the beginning when I was reading the book, I was craving that familiarity that we get from Feyre and Reese. And it, I felt like I kind of had to wade through a bit of like Nesta's problems and just go, oh, come on, where's Feyre and Reese again? I want to see them again. But by the time you get through that first probably, I don't know, third of the book or so, you're kind of over it and you're like, all right, no, my focus has now switched to Nesta and, and Cassian. So I certainly felt like uh, the author was giving us that separation that we needed for the spin-off to work and for us to become invested in these, char- in these characters who were always side characters to the main plot line. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I think if she'd put Nesta in the house, in the river house, the book would be completely different because, you know, she's working in the library. The library's underneath the House of Wind. You know, that whole element would be completely gone. So I think that it was definitely a strategic move um, in that respect as well. But yeah, I completely agree. I think because this is just its own, its own book, you know, she did say it was a standalone really. So, you know, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think if she'd been stuck in the house, in the um, river house, it would be a completely different book. And there were some very like surprising and interesting parts of this book that introduced new kind of aspects of the world to us. What surprised you the most? Probably, <laughs> probably the, th- the first shock for me was coming to the realization that it's not YA strictly anymore, that it's adult. When it started, when she started swearing and stuff, I'm going, hang on, 
what's going on? Like, and she's talking like a lot more detail in the sex scenes and stuff. And I'm like, this is, oh yeah, it's an adult book. That makes more sense. Okay. And then once I got over that shock, I think the next thing that I was looking at, I'm going, there's so much new information. Like she started off with this world and then completely blown it way open. Um, I think probably my favorite aspect was probably the Valkyries, to be honest, because, um, you know, all of, you know, we've got so many strong female characters in this series, but they're not like more is a warrior, but she's not like, she's on her own. Whereas you've got the Valkyries, which are these, you know, they can hold their own against the Illyrians, um, which, you know, I think was, yeah, so it makes it such a more, a more of a feminist fantasy book rather than just strictly you've got some strong females. Now you've got like an army of women that can, you know, just hold their own in a battle, which is just so unique. You know, not even in the Throne of Glass series did we have anything like that really, apart from the witches. Um, so yeah, it's sort of, I think it's sort of playing off maybe they're the Akatar version of the witches, that they're just this clan of just women that are just badass and crazy. <laughs> I, definitely, so I, I definitely think that Auntie was upped between uh, YA romance and adult romance scenes there was a very there's a very 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 big leap in that but i think what surprised me and this is kind of piggybacking on what you said was uh the valkyries but in particular those characters of gwyn and emery is that how you reckon i pronounce her name okay yeah that's how i was pronouncing it wonderful because sometimes it's actually different to how you say it in your head and especially with uh this particular series there are some interesting names but i i actually found they were my favorite parts of the book were the were the moments we got the female relationships being formed between emery and gwyn uh, i loved those sort of moments and and how uh we had uh, and how Nestor actually met them and they became, uh, they, they sort of stepped out of their shells and were able to share their stories with each other. I, I really loved that. And I was very surprised that that actually turned out to be what Nestor needed the most was she actually needed those female relationships that had, had similar sort of traumatic stories in their past and kind of to bond and unite uh, with them. I uh, loved that connection to the history as well and that united front and i also hope that by introducing these two new characters we've got two new females in in the ring and because we have like we have more for example i was like oh wouldn't it be great if one of them ends up with more Don't i know i'm like so hoping that emery yes. and more get together yes because it has strong chemistry and yeah i'm really I'm hoping that more will get her. I think, so I think we've got maybe three books left in this series. That is one so of the I'm, questions I'm going to ask you um, soon is, yeah, what you reckon we're going to get next. But yeah, I think I definitely hope that that potentially happens. And I'm interested to see, I also kind of hope, and I, I'm sorry if anyone's upset by this, but I don't want Lucy and Elaine to work out. Because everyone else has got with their mate except for Moore and Eris. And I just, I really want there to be a storyline where we see when that doesn't happen, when the mates don't work out and we live it as well. 
in a way, like, uh, in a way, I was hoping that Nestor and Eris would get together. If that's weird. No, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, they're so similar. They're just Mm. such assholes that they would work really well together. But at the same time, I'm hoping that Elaine and Asriel don't get together. Mm. I think Asriel deserves better than Elaine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that with, I mean, with the exclusive chapter, I'm hoping that it's actually as and Gwyn yes. end up together because it yes. makes a lot more sense with, with that chapter once you read it. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I also thought going back with the Nesta and Eris thing, I actually thought that was where the book was going to go. And for that, like Nesta was going to be sort of played as this pawn and like a willing pawn. Like she was like, yep, totally. I'm going to do that. And I was shocked when that didn't eventuate. I thought, here we go. This is going to throw a whole nother curveball. She's going to um, marry Eris and that's going to really annoy Cassian. And how is this going to go? How is this going to explode? So I was quite shocked that the story didn't go in that way. Um, so yeah, that's certainly something else that surprised me about the book. Well, one of the things, it just made me so angry how she keeps making the Archeron sisters like mates with everyone in the circle you know that just I mean it was going to happen it was going that way but I'm going please like can something just happen like a catalyst and Eris and Nesta end up together just as something completely random would have been would have been really exciting I think it would have been a lot more exciting I mean I love the book it's probably my second favorite out of um out of the series um but yeah, I just thought it's a little bit too, in that respect, it was too predictable for me because you could just see it was going to happen. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about Elaine and, um, and Asriel. Oh, no, Elaine and Lucian, the idea that they kind of um, don't, uh, are mates, but that doesn't follow through. But, yeah, I also feel like it's kind of predictable that the three sisters end up with, like, the three brothers. I think I, I, I'd want to see something a little bit different with that storyline. The I always think that Sarah J Maz is the queen of a dramatic moment and a dramatic ending that just wants you wanting more. And our final sort of few chapters of this book is a dual timeline where we're seeing Cassian's perspective when he's gone off to uh, rescue Eris. And we also then have that timeline of Nesta who is, who finds herself in the blood right so what were your thoughts on that dramatic ending? It was, I wasn't a huge fan. Like, I, I love Eris as a character. I think he's great. Um, but the way the characters are sort of, like, have been building up to, like, this just complete and utter hatred of him because of what he did to Moa. And then... I feel sort of a little bit betrayed that Sarah would then just say, oh, let's go and risk everything and the as and Cass can go and rescue Eris despite everything that's going on. I didn't really understand that reasoning because I would have just said, leave him. He can die. Who cares? Um, I mean, I don't want that to happen because I love him. But following the arcs of the characters, I sort of went, I don't really understand if that, I don't really feel like that's believable enough for me um and then for then you know down the track then Cassian goes oh I think you're actually a 
a good man and things have just happened to you. I was going, ah, uh, I don't know about like you, you've stabbed him in the guts and opened him up like a few times and Azrael set him on or Azrael's beat him up and everything as well. And I'm going, I don't know if I really get the reasoning behind him saying that and then him butchering more too. So I'm going, I don't know if that's fully believable, but then for Nesta to end up like it, Again, I did find that this book was a little bit predictable. Like you could end up reading through and going, okay, Ness is going to go into the blood, right? You kind of just have to figure out how that's going to happen. Um, but the way it did happen was really exciting. The fact that she didn't know she was going to end up there um, at the last minute without any weapons and she was separated from the other girls um, worked really well, that they ended up having to find each other and work together. And then she ended up really just sacrificing herself to save them was I think a really important, was like a real pinnacle moment for, for Nesta's character and that her development that she's finally sacrificed herself for someone else rather than making them do all the work for her and on her behalf. So I think that was a real turning point for her. And after that, I think her whole character really, really changed. So yeah, it was really interesting. I did, I did like it. And then there were bits that I didn't overly like, but the writing, I mean, the writing is incredible. So you can't doubt that, you know, she can't, she can pull it off. I actually found with the blood right that it wasn't predictable for me, but as soon as it happened, it was like, oh, everything's clicked into place. That's why they kept bringing it up. That's why Cassian kept speaking about it. I just completely plowed through it and didn't um, make the dot, the connect the dots until it actually happened. Um, I did really like the ending, but I also thought it was a little bit Harry Potter meets the Hunger Games. So I'm going to, ex I'm going to explain why, why I'm getting that vibe. So the blood ride itself feels very Hunger Games um, in the fact that there's that killing of other people and that struggling to survive. Not necessarily that only one person can survive in the end and kind of claim victory, but more so that kind of that fight and that struggle and even the scenes when they're in the cave um, and we're not even sure whether Emery is going to survive. Um, so that kind of, that felt very Hunger Games in itself. And then uh, the, like the stealing of supplies and the appearance of weapons again, felt really Hunger Games. Um, and then at the end, the, the idea of kind of like the port key when, so in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, when he touches the trophy and he's transported to uh, where Voldemort is in the grave site, that felt very much so uh, the ending of, of uh, A Court of Silver Flames when uh, we have Brillian appear in the end. She, Brillian's like the Voldemort of this whole story. And and that whole idea about that being transported and like tricked at the end there, that she was all set up and it all came back to Brillian, AKA Voldemort. So that, that was my feelings on the ending. I loved it and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, Oh, I, I feel a bit hunger Games slash Harry Potter in this ending here. Yeah, no, I had those vibes too. It was, yeah, it was really interesting. You can definitely see where she got inspiration from for it. That's for sure. Definitely. So that's the ending of the book. And as I said to you earlier, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on what we're going to get next, because this story ended in a way it felt like we're not getting another Nessian installment. It feels like we're done. 
with their little part of the of the puzzle and that we're potentially going to get another piece of the puzzle but from a different character's perspective so what what do you want if you were if you got to pick what we got next what would you say i am with that bonus chapter i'm expecting that we're going to get as um and elaine and potentially um let lucian have his own arc as well in the book so it's the three of them because i think we need to see um lucian interact with um durian and is it this who's a five is it vanessa vassa vassa yeah so we need to see them interact as well and i feel like they're going to go off and have their own sort of fight against the sorcerer who's captured who's capturing and imprisoning the women um so i think that that's sort of going to be the next the next book um which means that we probably will i mean we will see i think we'll end up seeing a bit of gwyn because her and as seem to be tied together in somewhat now um but i think it's going to be really interesting to see and watch as sort of interact with different women because he's going to have to confront or he's going to have to cut ties with more to try and figure out why that never worked out um so and then i think the next book will end up being something on more and i'm hoping on eris as well because i think those two need their own their own book with like separate timelines and separate stories but so we can kind of get the full picture and what actually happened between the two of them because it, it sounds like in Akasif that it was hinted that that what was happened to more was not the full story that it was completely different that Eris actually had nothing to do with what happened to her um, so I think that that definitely needs to be explored so we can have a, a proper understanding of what's actually going on with um, with the autumn court because it also wouldn't surprise me if it was just Baron that had done it all and had just blamed Eris and let him um, suffer, suffer the consequences for it. Um, so I think I would hope that that would, that would happen and we can come out of it without as actually having a mate, but finding someone that he actually likes being with, because I'm kind of, I'm sick of the mate concept. I think enough is enough. I'm interested to read your article about it now, because it's something that <laughs> I've always felt like, I don't know. I think I think ever since sort of Tamlin, which I know that's like the first book, but so even since that, it's like how yeah, how viable is this? Um, I I agree with you. I definitely was very starved for more content in this novel, and she would have to be high on rotation of my favorite characters because I changed my mind. But she's definitely, um, I've, yeah, I was definitely very starved for content. So I'm wondering if we're going to get a book that might backtrack a little bit about what she's been doing. But listening to you talk about more and Eris makes me think that maybe we could even get a prequel because she's not, um, she's not, Sarah doesn't necessarily shy away from a prequel, which we've seen in the Throne of Glass series um, that kind of, as she got partway through and, and through in a prequel. So we could even potentially get a more an Eris story there, um, which could be quite interesting. But I also feel like we're so far through the series that we kind of want some endings to occur for certain characters as well. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Sally, to talk about A Court of Silver Flames. No, thank you for having me. This is the first podcast I've ever done and it's been really fun. I would do it again in a heartbeat. (laughs) You have been listening to the Bookstoring Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstoring Podcast.